I'm going to kick us off with prayer, so let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your presence with us this morning. We're convinced of it already, and you've got a lesson for us today, and I, I pray that we would hear it, uh, that we would hear from you. We open ourselves up to you. We offer all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray, amen. This is my spot. I did not dream of it, nor did I seek it. Someone asked me to take it, and I agreed. And I was glad, but I had no idea it would expose so much. This is Maven. She's depressed. I'm depressed, but really pretty happy with things. So she says... I'm in this group because I grew up in a really conservative atmosphere, and you guys seem to accept pretty much everything. It, you know what? That's not true. We don't accept pretty much everything. And you don't mind me using the King James or talking about my meds. <clears throat> this is Pat and Grant. I did Grant not. is... Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Do I look stupid or something? I didn't say you were stupid. Well, that's the way it sounded. Grant is out of work. Never say that. You Always get the idea. Would you just let it go now? This oh. is uh, this is Timothy. It's uh, it's not like I'm. People think I am. They don't know. <laughs> some think that he's uh, been abused. Some think he's gay. Some say that his deck lacks a few cards. Nobody knows. I don't think I want to come anymore. He said that three weeks ago. But here he is, still. Timothy went to school with Geneva and Al. Leave him alone. All I said was that he acts like it. Acts like what? I didn't even yeah. mean it. Geneva knows what Al does not. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Uh, okay, so... So how does that make it, then? Well, I thought it was free. Uh -huh. What's free? It's grace that's free. Well, what's the difference? Well, grace is forgiveness. So love doesn't forgive? No, I thought that it said that it did, so that makes it like grace, right? It's free, yeah? Yeah, that sounds right. Oh. But, but, Jesus, but Jesus says, that if you obey the commands, then you get to keep getting his love, right? Well, that sounds conditional. The questions people come up with. I mean, actually, you know, I, I, I love them. I, I, I get frustrated, though, because we don't have the answers to all of them. At least I don't. Love is always conditional, always. But then, God sometimes answers them all on his own. Uh, what I mean is, I, I, I've always been, well, different. I, I don't know why I'm so different, but it's, it's just me. So people, uh, people like me, but only when they like me, you, you know? I, uh, I make people laugh. I mean, <clears throat> people laugh at me. So... As long as I make them laugh, I remain in their love. So 
Yeah, it's conditional, always, and I don't meet the conditions much. Uh, Timothy, uh, God's love isn't like that. He laughs like everybody else? No, we're not laughing. Grant is, I know that he does. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. Look, uh, Timothy, uh, I, I don't know why, I, it's just, look, I'm sorry. I guess maybe I do laugh at you. And I don't know why, and I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter, I'm sorry. And I'm out of work, and it scares me. So I guess we're the same maybe, right? I'm scared of what people think? You with your whatever and, and me without work? I should shut up while I'm ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you should. So, is it free or is it conditional? I, I love Grant just how he is. So free. Can it be both? I do not see how. Someone should just ask me. Someone should just ask me. Ask, ask you what? Why I am so different. Okay. Uh, why are you different? Why do you ask? <laughs> that is a joke. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have Asperger's. It's called Asperger's. It's a, it's a disorder, it's neurological, it uh, makes me different, mostly okay, but not quite. I, I, I hate to tell people, but I, I am not retarded, I'm just weird. Timothy. Let me do uh, this. Timothy, I wish you would have said something sooner. I am so sorry. I promise you, I will never do that again. Make fun of me? Yeah, that. Never again. Yeah, because I thought that if I told you, then I, then I could keep c coming. Because I like all of you, I, I really do. So God loves you in, in spite of your condition. Well, that's unconditional, I guess. That's, that's very smart, Timothy, very sharp. Yeah. We like you too. I have no idea how I got this spot. And sometimes, you know, the questions are just too hard. And sometimes I'm like Timothy, you know, and I, I think I can't show up anymore. But then, somebody goes and tells the truth. And I realize there is nothing quite like that moment. Nothing like it. So our theme for this next year is deeper and wider. Uh, we want to, as a congregation and as families and as individuals, go deeper and wider. We want to go deeper in our connection with God and in our connections with one another. And we want to go wider in the impact that our life makes on those around us, our, our neighbors and our workmates and us 
together our community. The first little nibble at that is we're spending several weeks talking about why church. We began that last week. I read something this week that is absolutely true. I read it on the internet, so it has to be true. A woman goes in and she's waking up her husband. She says, get up, Sunday morning, we got to go to church. He rolls over and says, I'm not going to church. She said, yes, get up, get out of bed, we're going to church. He says, I'm not going to church, those people are unfriendly and nobody there likes me. She said, get out of bed, we're going to church. He said, give me three reasons why I should go to church. She said, number one, they're not unfriendly, they're very friendly. Number two, there are a lot of people there who love you. And number three, you're the pastor. You need to know (laughs) that for all of us, church can be tough at times. No matter who we are, connecting here is tough. Last week, we asked ourselves, why go to church? And we said, A significant part of the reason is to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. As it turns out, our character is a community project. We don't get to be consistently the kind of people we long to be without one another. We looked at Hebrews chapter 10 and especially at verses 24 and 25 that says, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And and let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So a central part of why we go to church is to spur one another and to be spurred. And then last week at the end of the service, we did some lab work. We called it spurring time. And it, of course, it got mixed results. But I I told you then that we were going to concentrate on building connections during the month of September. We were going to make it difficult for us to come and to not have connections with one another because that's what the church is. The church is, colon, a network of connections. And that brings us to our topic today. Why are we connected? Now, not why as in the outgrowth, not why as in how does that benefit us or or why should we, but why, as in from this direction, why are we? Why is that the call in our lives? And why does it happen? And why is it so important? And to set us up for that, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And I want you to know that as I was looking through this this week, one of those like surprise knockout principles hit me this week. I guess I knew this, but I'd never seen it like this. It blew my mind. I can't wait to share it with you. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And there are going to be two don't miss this principles that fall out of this, plus the little surprise nugget. So Ephesians chapter 2, it's toward the back of the New Testament. It's one of those little books that the Apostle Paul wrote. Let's go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Listen to this. This is awesome. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but 
fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is why we spend time in God's word, because we're built on the foundation of the, the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You're a temple. You're not just a little individual stone. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You may be seated. So, two really important don't miss this principles that fall out of this. Number one, our connection to one another is a central part of God's purpose through Christ. Our connection to one another is a central part of God's purpose through Christ. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul probably as a general letter to be read by many churches across Asia Minor. And I say that it was written as a general letter for three reasons. Number one, the letter doesn't express any kind of intimacies with the Ephesians like Paul does in most of his letters. Secondly, verse one of this book, sometime later, go back and read it. It says, quote, it's written to the saints in Ephesus, but the oldest manuscripts the word in Ephesus don't appear. And the third reason is because it doesn't really address any specific problems like most of Paul's letters, which were written to specific churches. So in my mind, the fact that this is meant to be a widely circulated letter actually highlights the importance of Paul's ideas in this book. I believe he's covering some critically important big picture ideas that are critical, vital for us to know and understand. And one of the central themes of this book throughout is our unity, our connections with one another. This theme shows up over and over and over again. Really small sampling. Listen to this. Chapter 1, verse 9. God has made known to us the mystery of his will to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. It's just a picture of the unity of all things. Then in chapter 3, he prays for his readers. For us, he says this, quote, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's as if he's saying, we can't really get it unless we're together. We can't really understand how long and wide and high and deep Christ's love is unless we're together. Chapter 4, he charges us with this, quote, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. On and on and on. Over and over again, Paul presses that same thing. He knows that we need to hear it. It's as if God knew that this book was going to be read by 21st century, highly individualized American suburban consumers. We need to be reminded of our need for connection and our call to connection. I read an article a number of years ago by, uh, kept the quote from it, by one guy, but it was really the FBI team that identified the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. And some of you are old enough to remember that whole episode. They describe in this article how it happened, and he says they began their search, as the FBI often does, by building a probable profile for the killer. And he said the first characteristic that we identified for the profile of someone who could do what the Unabomber was doing was loner. And every other characteristic that they came up with was an outflow of that. And then he said this, because, quote, because connections with others has a healthy normalizing influence over all of us, we need it, end quote. That's from the FBI. Now, Paul was speaking into a world that was as tribalized as America sometimes feels today. 
except they weren't divided by political loyalties. They were divided by national and ethnic and religious identities. And as you would expect, these tribes made their way into the church fellowship as surely as they were outside it, just like they do today. One of the most significant tribal divides within the church was the divide between Jew and non-Jew. So here's what you need to know about that to get a feel for what Paul has said here. The Jews had a long history of worshiping God, and they had the deep expectation that God would send a Messiah who would rescue them. So when Paul or anyone else preached about Jesus to the Jews, he used a lot of shorthand because there was so much that they already knew. But the Gentiles were often, the non-Jews were often spiritually clueless. They were coming from a world of polytheism and sex cults. They didn't understand the language and the rhythms of worshiping God. They sometimes felt like serious outsiders themselves when they started gathering with other Christ followers. And, and often, the Jews intentionally made them feel this way. Even though the Jesus movement was a, like a fresh new thing for everyone, it felt like the Jews had a giant head start. So that's why Paul repeatedly hammers the crucially important message that we hear today, the message of unity. Our connection to one another is central to God's purpose. Based on this truth, Paul makes an observation, a little one, that supports this, that it blew my mind. It, I, it never really occurred to me, or it never occurred to me to put it this way. So let, let, listen to this. Paul actually asserts in this passage that Bringing unity to relationships is part of what God did through the cross. I'm going to say that again. Bringing unity to relationships is part of what God did through the cross. This is part of why Jesus died. In other words, the death of Jesus was far more than a sin forgiveness instrument. It also created rippling waves of unity. It literally created community. I want you to listen again to the start of the passage. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one. His purpose was to create in himself one new person out of the two, thus making peace. This has always been God's purpose. If you don't know anything about religion, you know the general outline of the Christian creation story. And in the creation story, God creates in six gigantic creation epics. And at the end of each creation epic, he looks out over what he's created and he says, that's good. Day two, creation epic, that's good repeatedly over the unveiling of creation at each level, God looks and he pronounces this divine benediction. That's good. The entire universe stretching from one end to the other, the whole time-space continuum, God is pleased. There is one thing with which God is displeased. Genesis 2, 18, God looks down and says, whoa. It is not good for man to be alone because he's going to spend all day watching television and getting nothing done. I need to create a helper. There's one thing not good in all of creation. Man's aloneness. We were created for community. We see this same purpose 
and priority in Jesus' prayer. So on the very last night of Jesus' life, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be crucified. Jesus is praying. We have that prayer recorded. And what's even wilder, in part of that prayer, he prays for us. He prays first for himself, then he prays for his disciples. And in John 17, beginning in verse 20, it says this. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Listen to what he prays. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Here is the last night of Jesus' life. His attention is riveted on those things that are most important and highest priority. He could have prayed for our joy. He could have prayed that we wouldn't have any trials. Why didn't you? He could have prayed for our faith. But what he prays for is our unity. This has always been God's purpose in our lives for you and me. First, don't miss this principle. Our connection to one another that is, our connection to other followers of Christ is central to God's purpose through Christ. It's what he's doing and what he's always been doing. Second, don't miss this principle. Our connection with one another is fundamental to who we are as Christ followers. It's fundamental. Sit with that for a second. I'm going to explain this. To tee us up for this, I'm going to read that last paragraph again. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. He's piling up phrases and images. He's ransacking the language to look for ways to communicate just how united we are. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the building that God lives in. Together, we are the temple of God. So here's what I mean. Let's take the Adam as an illustration. You remember Adam. Those of you who are old enough, you learned about the Adam in the 11th grade chemistry or now probably 4th grade chemistry, I don't know. Here's what Wikipedia says. This is good basic definition of an atom. First sentence from Wikipedia. You know, Wikipedia is always right. It says, an atom is the smallest constituent unit of ordinary matter that has the properties of a chemical element. I know all of you got that, but let me explain. So an atom of iron is iron. An atom of copper is copper. An atom of helium is helium. An atom of oxygen is oxygen. The atom is the smallest, most basic element in nature in which a thing is the thing. So if you reduce a thing to its lowest possible element, you reduced it to an atom. Now look, the atom has parts. There are electrons and protons and neutrons. You remember that? But the lowest point at which a thing is still a thing is the atom. Here's what Paul is communicating to us. The most basic level, the lowest thing at which there exists Christ followership, at which there exists Christianity, is community. 
It's us. We're the last point at which this thing is essentially this thing. We are called God's temple, his household, his building. In other places, we're called his body. Corporate images that describe the essential nature of our faith. Now, some of us tend to think of our faith as very private. Others of us, even though we're more public with our faith, we tend to think of our faith like it's me and Jesus. And I'm out there, you know, I'm trying to connect to God by myself. And we think of our connection to church as an extremely important add-on, maybe a tangent to our lives, but it's not. It's the core of our life. As my good friend Jan Zacharias says, it's all about relationships. Our connection to one another is fundamental to who we are as people, first of all, but more particularly as Christ followers. I'm going to keep spinning this to make sure we get it, and then I'm going to make a little application. I want you to think of it like this. If your life was a novel, what would the title be? In other words, what's the governing principle of your life? What is the main overarching thing to your life? Some of you know, when I meet new people, this has occasionally happened to some of you, so I'm apologizing in advance. But often when I meet new people, especially here at Gateway, I'll say, hey, how are you? I'm Ed. Uh, Who are you? And you'll say, well, I'm Pedro. Yeah, Pedro, who are you? And usually you need to know that you're not the only one. You look at me with a dull stare and think, what is this guy's problem? And then I'll help you out and I'll say something like, I I mean, like, do you live in the area? Because I'm looking for just basic superficial stuff, asking a general question, let you answer it any way you want to. Imagine if God asked that question. So, Ed, who are you? Now, if God asked me, I might answer, well, I'm married to Diane, and I'm father to Jordan, Dawson, and Graham, and I pastor Gateway Community Church, and I'm a Christ follower, and I throw that one in for brownie points. But that's unsatisfactory to God, and not because I got the order wrong. Here's what I think God is looking for. Who are you, Ed? I think God is looking for, well... I'm in Christ. And because of that great fact, I have community with Diane Allen and with Jordan Dawson and Graham Allen, those are my sons, and with the people at Gateway Community Church. Often when we think of our lives, we think of our various essential roles. But God wants us to think of ourselves in the context of our essential connections. These connections What if God's main purpose in having you live in Northern Virginia is not for your engineering job or your school teaching job? What if God's main purpose in having you live in Northern Virginia is not for the great schools that your kids get to go to? What if his main purpose in you being here is you being here amidst these connections? I want to illustrate this further. Let me noodle on family for a minute. Some of us don't think we have time for church, and if you're listening to this later, I'm using air quotes, because we've got small kids and it's just overwhelming. Or we've got one in elementary school, two in middle school, the schedule is just frenetic right now. I believe Paul's instruction here would have us rethink that. If I think like that, I think I'm making two critical and fundamental mistakes. First, when I think like that, I'm imagining church air quotes, as this thing that I go to on Sunday mornings, or as this building that stands on the corner of Tall Cedars Parkway and Gumspring Road. 
But that's not church. Church is a network of connections between people who love and follow Christ. So we sometimes nurse the wrong idea about church. I believe my second mistake in that kind of thinking is forgetting that, stay with me, forgetting that the most essential thing about my relationship with Jordan, my son, is not my fatherhood. The most essential thing about my relationship with Jordan, my son, is not my fatherhood. The most essential thing about my relationship with Jordan is my brotherhood in Christ. So as I raise Jordan, I am aiming toward building authentic Christian community with him and building him into the kind of man who can be and build authentic Christian community with others, who can love them healthily and tenaciously. Wait a minute, Ed. Wait! Are you trying to say that church is more important than my family? Pause for dramatic effect. Here's a medium shocker. I believe God doesn't even understand that question. Parents, listen up. You're not trying to raise successful suburbanites. Your goal is to raise healthy Christ followers who know how to be loved and know how to love others tenaciously through all circumstances and healthily. Your family is the most important part of your church. But it's part of your church. Remember, church is a network of connections. I suspect that all of you are part of a church. That's not the question. The question is whether or not your church is a God-honoring one. What are your church's core values? Is your church a place of peace? Is your church a place of unity? Is it built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets so the word is upheld? Does your church welcome all? Does it stand on Christ Jesus and him alone? Our connection to one another is fundamental. And in the end, it's all that matters. Okay, one. Because our connection to one another is a central part of God's purpose through Christ. And two, because our connection to one another is fundamental to who we are. Then I plead with you, without apology, step in. Let Gateway feel the full weight of who you are. Invest. Connect. I, you know, you might have grown up in a small Baptist church in Kentucky and they had a choir, and you were the kid that dropped your chewing gum on the carpet every Sunday, and now you're living in northern Virginia, and you've stumbled into Gateway Community Church, and you can't exactly figure it out, but you kind of dig it a little bit. We want to feel the full weight of who you are and all of your Kentucky weirdness. We want to know it. We want it to be part of this, or you might have grown up as the main altar boy at your parish in New Jersey, and your family was super Catholic. Your grandmother and your mother went to Mass three times a week, and you went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through high school. Some of you went to Catholic college. You went to Villanova or Notre Dame, and you have stumbled into Gateway Community Church because you've been away from church for a while, and it feels a little weird to you but you feel something here. You're connecting to something. We want to feel the full weight of your Catholic weirdness.
because you're going to feel the full weight of my weirdness. We want to feel the full weight of yours. Or you've got three small kids and you can barely keep up. Don't give up meeting together, Hebrews says. Bring your barely keeping up here and let us experience it together because the most fundamental thing about your faith is this. It's not you and God trying to figure it out. Step in. Volunteer. Join. Invest. You're going to be hearing how, and I want you to do it. This is how that passage ends. In him, we too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Some of you have gotten an email note from me in recent months. When somebody comes new to Gateway, if we get your information, I try to send you an email. And thanks for coming. And if you've said something on your connection card, I'll try to say something to you about that. I don't always remember, but I try to. I usually in these notes will say something like, you know, we hope you sense God's presence while you're here. (laughs) That's what we're building. We're being built into a place where God's spirit lives. So that when people walk in here, something is different. And that's what we want. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of something like that. And we don't get to be part of something like that unless you step in and bring all of your weirdness and let it be felt in all of its glory here. That's not exactly thunderous applause, but I'll take that as an amen. Okay, yes. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's wrap this up. Father, Somehow we believe that you have spoken and you promised us that wherever two or three were together, you'd be there. We believe you've been here. And I want to pray that nothing that you have said this morning would be lost. That there's any part of us that is intrigued and leans in. Whatever part of us this morning that is saying yes, I pray that Thursday, when we're forgetting it, that you would remind us, nope, you said yes. So hear us and draw us in. Unite us, God. We don't want to be a crowd that meets on Sunday. We want to be a church. So build that here among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace, everybody.